Good evening, everyone. I'm Mark, and uh, we're in, in between series right now, but I uh, had a lot of great conversations this week about, about uh, uh, last Sunday in our, in our discussion and wanted to continue uh, kind of that discussion a little bit this evening. Uh, uh, it, was, it was helped in, in part by, by a conversation I was having with uh, two friends of mine who go here, Jamie and Heidi. It was uh, lunchtime and, and uh, they were doing something and they were wondering if I could pick up uh, uh, some sandwiches uh, uh, and drop them off, and I, I it was it was convenient. It was local, and and I'm like, yeah, sure, uh, no problem. And and they're all like, uh, cool, we'll order three sandwiches. Uh, you can you can pick them up uh, at a place called Tomato Land, the land of tomatoes. Now, if you know anything about me, well, maybe not. I mean, yes, I don't like tomatoes. I mean, I just like tomatoes, like a place called Tomato Land is not a place that I would be found frequently, frequenting. Uh, and uh, so I was like, uh, you, know, you know, I'm not really a big fan of tomatoes. And Heidi's all, no, 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 they have great sandwiches and, and it'll be awesome and everything. So she calls them up and she's ordering three sandwiches. And I'm like, ask if tomato comes on the sandwich, so without thinking, she's like, she's like, well, does does uh, tomato come on the on the sandwich? And they're like, you know, the uh, this is Tomato Land, the land of tomato. Yes, tomatoes. You know, if, if nothing else, tomatoes come on our sandwich. So I said, well, make sure that you get one without tomato and and everything, and I'll and I'll pick them up. So, you know, I, I, I go there and I'm I'm standing in line and and and, and waiting. They they had a book there. Uh, uh, basically the title, I don't remember the exact title, was basically How America Ruined the Tomato. See, I knew it. I knew the tomato was ruined. It used to be this amazing thing, but now but now America has ruined the tomato. So I was kind of looking and checking out this book. And, and apparently, uh, through genetic engineering and uh, something I guess is called, I'm going to totally butcher this, but like uh, hybridization. Is that right? Yeah, hybridization. Uh, that's a very big word for me to get correct. So I'm very proud of myself. Thank you. Uh, that that the, the goal was to make a bigger, redder tomato than it was just normally. And then they were talking about some other things, uh, how, how our food has been genetically engineered. And not only our food, but like flowers. Uh, you know, flowers, uh, they, they, they really, they, uh, many years ago, they decided that they wanted flowers to look big and beautiful, but they didn't really care so much about the smell. So they started doing the hybridization and uh, uh, genetic engineering and, and all that kind of stuff and, and started producing this fruit and vegetables and, and flowers that looked amazing, but they were basically taste-wise or the flowers case, uh, the smell-wise, uh, resembled very little uh, of what it originally intended to be, you know, by taking, you know, these, these kind of shortcuts and, and all of these kind of different things. And there's actually been a really big movement 
called uh, uh, heritage uh, kind of flowers and heritage kind of uh, fruits and vegetables. You know about this? Where they, they go back, they, they, they don't use hybrid seeds. They try to get these like, you know, what our grandma and grandpa and their grandparents, you know, the seeds that they used to use, that they will grow these, or you know, not just organic, but these original non-hybrid uh, type uh, fruits and vegetables and flowers that are meant to smell amazing and the, and the tastes are meant to be awesome, but they're just not as big and they're just not as flashy. And I was, I was thinking about that and I was thinking about that uh, along with the gospel and, and, and how, how the gospel message, you know, as, as, as we understand it, has, has changed especially here in America, and even so much so, like when we were talking about Pathways Pre, where, where when we read the Great Commission, most of our minds go instantly to evangelism. Mine, mine did, and uh, to this kind of idea that, all right, you know, the Great Commission is all about making converts, but as we went back through it, that's not what Jesus was saying at all. Like Jesus was saying, hey, I want you to make what? Disciples. Now, becoming followers of Christ is, is part of that. Becoming Christian is part of that. Accepting uh, Jesus as your Lord and Savior is, is an essential part of that. But what Jesus is trying to unpack is so much more. Not just this kind of like big wow, you know, come as you are moment, but, but something fuller. This idea, again, the mission, and, and on the front of your uh, fridge folds, I made a little graphic. The mission is, is this idea of, you know what, we're meant to go and make disciples, these fully devoted followers of Christ, and, and to baptize them into community, right? There's this community aspect of it that we are coming together, and then to teach them, teach them what? Teach them the commandments, which we've talked about, and we're going to talk about uh, in, uh, in some regard tonight about the most important commandment, which is holistically loving God and loving people. And I think through the process of, of trying to, to get this end product, this, this kind of, uh, the American church has taken some kind of different shortcuts and, and, and done some hybridization and, and genetic engineering to try to manipulate people into bringing them to a point of decision. And we wonder why we take a step back and, and, and wonder why, you know, we don't have this, this, this overflow, this, this, this joy in the Lord. And this is going. This had been going all through my mind, and and especially through some discussions out of last Sunday. Uh, God really brought me to the scripture that we're going to be talking about today, and that's in John 15, where where Jesus is talking about about producing fruit. He uses this metaphor of of producing fruit and kind of the pruning process and and things like that. And I think that this is going to give us a clue. Um, to give us a better idea of the heart and mind of God when it, when it comes to discipleship and, and how that impacts kind of the, the Great Commission, the mission, and how we live out the most important commandment, and that 
is to holistically love God and to love people. So in John chapter 15, in, in verse 1, uh, Jesus says this. He says, I am the true grapevine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that does not produce fruit. And he prunes the branches that do not bear fruit so they will produce or that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You've already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Now, fortunately, I've been given some insight and some life experience on this kind of this idea of pruning fruit trees and, and how that all works. In fact, there's basically two types of pruning that, that Jesus is really referring to, and there's two types of pruning in a, in a fruit tree. There's, there's the one you just cut the branch off at the trunk, and you discard it, and he'll get more into that. But that's basically this, this branch is not producing fruit for some reason. It's either broken or diseased or just there's something wrong with it so it's cut off to make room you know for air and sunlight and water and nutrients to go to the other branches and then there's the other kind of pruning that that you cut back a branch that even is producing fruit you know it's almost counterintuitive but but you know kind of this idea that you know the good is the enemy of the great where you're saying, you know what, it's good that I'm producing fruit, so, you know, this little bit of fruit. But Jesus is talking about this kind of relentless process of, of, you know, not settling for good, but, but going for what is best. And that is the amount of fruit that, that, that God has envisioned for you to produce in your life. So, this all kind of uh, became a reality, this kind of lesson on on pruning in my life uh, when I was seven years old. When I was seven years old, my, my parents decided that they were uh, going to move from one city uh, suburb into a, another uh, uh, place in, in Los Angeles that had a little bit more land and better schools and things like that. And since I was seven, fortunately, they decided to take me along with them. If it was a few years later when I was a teenager, may have ended differently. But, but I was seven. I was still cute little Marky. So they bring me along, right? And we get to this new, uh, this new place. And, and not by Tallahassee standards, there wasn't a lot of land. But by Los Angeles standards, there was a whole lot of land. And there was a whole bunch of fruit trees on there. And my mom was telling us uh, when she was walking through with the, the, the owner, they actually knew the original owners, and uh, they were pointing out all the fruit trees. Oh, you know, this is, this is a plum tree, and, and it makes all these beautiful plums, and, and this is our, our uh, 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 pomegranate tree. You ever had a pomegranate? Yeah, yeah, they're, they're more trouble than they're worth. But, but uh, you know, this pomegranate tree, and my mom used to put the pomegranate seeds in salads. It's terrible. And, and uh, we also had avocado tree and, and uh, uh, grapefruit tree and, and, a, and a kumquat tree. You guys know kumquats? See, I thought that was a California thing. No. All right, you guys got kumquats. So, all right, so... 
So yeah, there's kumquats, still not sure what they're for, but, but you know, like little orange things, you know, they're not like little oranges, they're like sour little nasty things. And, uh, but there was this one massive green tree, you know, I mean, this thing was, was, was just impressive. And the lady said, that's meant to be an orange tree, but it's never produced one orange. She's like, it's essentially worthless. Well, I think that sold the house to my mom right there because my mom loves a challenge and she was going to will this thing into producing oranges. So, so we bought the house, we moved in and she got right to work. And what she did was uh, she first, she pruned back this tree. I mean, this gorgeous tree and, you know, just cut it back. And she started watering it and, and feeding it. And she, she would go out and, and sing to it. No joke. Sing to it every single day, which is proof what doesn't kill you will make you stronger, right? And uh, the, so she would go and she just gave all this attention. And, at, 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 uh, you know, it started to come back. And you know what happened at the first year? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. You know, we had this beautiful tree, but it didn't produce any fruit. It looked good, but it didn't produce any fruit. And uh, she cut it back, and now we had an ugly tree that didn't produce any fruit. But, you know, my mom, if she had a tattoo, it would read, Persistence wears resistance, all right? And uh, so she kept on going on it, and she's singing to this thing and watering it and fertilizing it and feeding it and and all this kind of stuff. And after a few seasons of nothing, finally, it produces a couple of miserable little oranges. And it started being a joke in my family, you know, and making fun of her, ridiculing her, you know. Oh, you know, just, you know, like, oh, you're wasting all your time on that worthless tree. You know, that thing, you know, yeah, you know, it's not going to ever produce any fruit. The other lady was right. But my mom, you know, she kept on going. Well, amazing thing happened. A few more, four more years, uh, this thing just took off. And there were oranges everywhere. I mean, and they weren't just like rotten, like little nasty oranges. These things were big and juicy and, and just amazing. And, and we had so many oranges, we didn't know what to do with it. We were making orange marmalade or orange stew, orange, you know, pie, you know, oranges, you know, just going everywhere. And then, then we started giving the neighbors all these oranges and the neighbors started giving the oranges and the, the whole community was blessed. And I actually just found out this afternoon from my mom. She came up to me after she's up in Thomasville uh, and she's all, you missed the best part of this story. I said, I did. And she's like, yeah. She's like, you probably don't remember, but there was a single mother who actually saw our tree with all these oranges. And she came and she knocked on my, on our door. And, uh, and she asked if, uh, if she could pick the oranges uh, and take them to the flea market and sell them to help support uh, raising her family. And she said for the next two years, she would come and, and pick these oranges and, and sell them at the flea market. And that tree was able to help support this single mother in raising her children. 
And I was like, wow. And I was like thinking about that and thinking about John chapter 15. And, and I'm like, now, isn't that a more beautiful picture of what the gospel can be? Instead of genetically engineering and hybridization and all this kind of stuff to, to produce a, a tasteless, you know, kind of standard kind of product, you actually have somebody who, who is investing and, and pruning and growing and fertilizing and singing and, and all this and to the point where that, that, that tree starts producing fruit and it not only blesses the person who, who is there and doesn't only bless their family and doesn't only bless their neighborhood, but even by, and even farther extension, blesses someone that, that is not even in our immediate community and their children. And I think that this is the picture that Christ is trying to paint as we continue on. You see, he says, look, remain in me and I will remain in you. For a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine. And you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Yes, I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who remain in me and I in them will produce much fruit. Again, this, this idea of, of abounding fruit that, that is blessing everyone around it. And then he goes on to say, for, apart from me, you can do nothing. So this idea that, that, that when we abide in Christ, when we abide in the person and the word of, of Christ, and we allow him to prune those kind of, those, those predispositions and those those habits in our, in our lives that, that do not benefit the fruit. When those are, we allow our lives to be pruned by Christ and, and pruned by those that Christ has entrusted to us in our, in our circle of friends. That, that, you know what, there'll be the pruning time, but there'll also be this, this fruit time, this, this great bountiful harvest. And I got to be honest with you, when I've always heard this scripture taught before, that fruit has always been referred, uh, identified as conversions. Now, I'm not against conversions. I mean, it's all part of the gospel. But it is part of the gospel. And again, when you focus on this one thing, the kind of the, 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 the tangible thing that you can see that you miss a lot of the undertowing and the, and the growth that happens that produces something of quality and of beauty. In fact, I would even go so far to say that Jesus is actually talking about something that Paul was talking about in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 22. That's where we find the fruits of the Spirit where we see the fruits of the Spirit that, that are produced by the Holy Spirit, by, by having the Holy Spirit indwell in us, by, by being in the presence of, of Christ and allowing Him to prune our lives and allow us to grow in the fruit, that, that the fruits of the Spirit will be produced of this kind. Love, joy, peace, patience kindness, goodness, 
faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Now, you think about, about those things and think about those characteristics are a blessing to not only you, not only a blessing to your family, but it's a blessing to your church. It's a blessing to your neighborhood. It's a blessing to your community. And you do not know how far-reaching it can possibly be. Think about it on the other way. If you knew of a community or you knew of a person who exhibited these fruits of the Spirit, right? If, if you knew somebody who exhibited and produced the, kind of the fruit of love and patience and self-control and all of these kinds of things, that you would be drawn to that person because that person would be producing something of value, something that is substantial, something that will last. And this is the kind of fruit that, that Christ is saying, hey, when you abide in me, really in me, and you don't take the shortcuts, but you are transformed by, by, by a relationship with me, that, that, that you know, this is the kind of fruit that you will produce. In chapter, in verse 6, he goes on, he says, Anyone who does not remain in me is thrown away like a useless branch and withers. Such branches are gathered into a pile to be burned. Now, <laughs> I don't know how you've heard this taught before. I've heard it taught in, in a, with a positive spin and kind of making excuses for Jesus. You know what? We don't need to make excuses for Jesus. Jesus is the King of kings. Jesus is the Son of God. And you know what? If, if we don't like something he says, then we need to deal with it and not kind of whitewash what he says. And I know that some people had some problem last week with, you know, the, the master kicking the servant out and, and, and calling him a worthless servant and putting him, you know, in a place of darkness, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Harsh words. Here again, you know, cutting off the limb, useless branch, and throwing in the fire. This is tough, tough stuff. And this is why it's so important to be in a growth group so you can dialogue in this stuff and, and kind of and, and be transformed and say, okay, what in my life, why is this offensive to me? And, and, and how, how do I need to, to yield to Christ? And what is he trying to communicate in my life so I can be more like him? And uh, you know, I've, I've heard it said, you know, oh, you know what? This is actually a good thing because they would cut the branches and then they could make a fire and everybody could be warm and they could sing Kumbaya. Nonsense. That's not what he's trying to communicate. That's why he says useless. You know what useless is in Greek? Useless. It's not of any value. Yes, I have a hard time with that. You should have a hard time with that too. But having a hard time with it is a good thing. It means you're engaged. That you're not just a mind-numb robot following Jesus, but you're like, Jesus, I don't get this, and I need you to help me because I want to be a fully devoted follower of you. So in verse 7, he starts talking about what it actually looks like to be a true disciple, something that we should all want to know, right? How do... How, do I become a true disciple, a true follower of Christ? He says, look, 
if you remain in me and my words remain in you, so following Christ and being with him in person, relationship and teaching, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. When you produce much fruit, there it is again, you are my true disciple. This brings great glory to my Father. So again, when you exhibit the fruits of the Spirit, love, patience, kindness, self-control, all of these, these things, when you're producing much fruit that, that we were just talking about this in Pathways Axis, that, that our lives exhibit an act, is an act of worship to bring glory to God. And when we bring glory to God, that, that it makes the gospel evident and appealing to those who see it. And he says, but you cannot do this outside of being in my presence, that you have to remain in my love. In verse 9, it says, I have loved you even as the Father has loved me, this perfect love. Remain in my love. When you obey my commandments, you remain in my love, just as I obey my Father's commandments and remain in His love. Kind of this centralized theme of, of Christianity is this idea of love. That, that it revolves around love. And then in verse 11, we have this beautiful verse. It says, I have told you these things. This, this is good stuff. This is, Jesus is saying, look, I've just told you all this. I've, all, I've told you about the pruning and the cutting off and the fire and, and all of these hard things. Because of this. This is what I want you to know. I told you these things so that you may be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. Your joy will overflow. This idea of overflow is a central theme in, in, in Scripture. Overflow, uh, that word in Greek, a real word in Greek, is peros. And, and it's this idea of being filled up. I mean, really, the, the idea of, of my mom's orange tree, not only blessing her and blessing her family and blessing her neighborhood, but blessing all who can see this, this overflow that, that, you know what, our lives are so filled with oranges that we can't contain them anymore, and we're, and we're looking to bless others with them. In fact, this theme in Scripture in the New Testament alone, uh, 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 perusin and perisos, which is found in John 10.10, 10, which is more of the abundant life and the, and the extraordinary life. But this is a centralized theme for in 28 different accounts in the New Testament. And, and this idea that, you know what, we are meant to be living these triumphant spirit filled lives that not only fill us up, you know, this is the problem with the individualistic salvation message, that it's not just about us, but it's about us being a blessing to the world and living out the most important commandment, holistically loving God and loving people, where he talks about in verse 12, this is my command, love each other in the same way I loved you. Okay, Jesus, that's easy. You know, you've loved perfectly, you know, and I'm meant to do that too. There's the bar. 
There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friend. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you slaves but a, uh, because a master does not confide in slaves. Now you are my friends. Since I have told you everything the Father told me, you didn't choose me, I chose you. I appointed you to go and produce a lasting fruit. Again, what is that lasting fruit? Well, we're, we're know, we know in 1 Corinthians 13 that Paul talks about love and that love will triumph. Love will last forever because God is love. And this is the central premise of the Christian life. Producing lasting fruit so that the Father will give you whatever you ask for using my name in verse 17. This is my commandment. Love each other. And here we have the, this, this kind of unpacking this, this idea that, that our lives love is central to a follower of Christ's life. And, and, and it is because of that love that we accept the mission to go and make disciples and to baptize them into community and to teach them the commands of how to holistically love God and, and to love people. And as we, we live and abide in Christ, that we will have this paros, this parasos, this this. Abundance and overflowing joy that transcends circumstance and it makes the gospel appealing so people want to be part of it. It is the picture of our 